16, 5 through 7. But now I go away to him who sent me, and none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For, for if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. John 3, 8. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. everyone doing today? Not, not a rhetorical question, just wondering how you're doing. Good. Um, well, thank you, Sally, for doing the reading. I want to clarify a few things as we get started, because I'm the one who did the insert, and I'm feeling a little insecure right now about the fellas. So I did some research right now on my iPhone. Um, fella. An alternative to lad or bro, fella is a term used to refer to a male who enjoys high-level banter. I would say that that describes who we are as a church, uh, tending to be used among educated circles and possibly originating in Oxford as a variant of the term fellow. The term has gained particular popularity in recent years at the Queen's College. (laughs) So according to UrbanDictionary.com, you can use an apostrophe, Ryan. So I, I don't think you're urban enough. That's, that's the problem. You know, it's kind of like bala or like hala. You know, you just put the apostrophe at the end, maybe. I don't know. Ricky, can you confirm this? Well, so I'm sorry. We'll, 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 have a, we'll have a pastoral meeting and decide for next week what the, the appropriate uh, grammatical structure should be. Uh, Well, my name is Jacob. I'm one of the pastors here at Lower Manhattan Community Church. Glad that you decided to join us today. Uh, If you're here for the first time or if you're relatively new, we especially welcome you and glad that you decided to join us. Um, I've been using the first two minutes of my sermon uh, the last couple of times as a a shameless self-promotion for something that I'm doing um, that I'd like to talk about right now briefly. Uh, I think many of you know this, but uh, in November I'm running the New York City Marathon Uh, with Team World Vision, and um, rather than just doing something as a physical challenge, I I want it to have more meaning. So um, my goal is to get 10 kids sponsored as part of my marathon effort, and just to kind of put into perspective for you what this entails, training for a marathon, uh, this past week I ran 27 miles. Uh, In the month of August I ran 98 miles, and in total so far, I've run 173 miles. So it's a, it's a lot of work, you know, running a marathon. And uh, several families from the church have already been generous enough to, to sponsor kids. I'm about halfway to my goal. So please uh, think about doing that. It's $35 a month, and it provides food, water, education, medical, job opportunities in the community. It really transforms a young person's life. And uh, I've had the opportunity to go to several developing countries and um, to see it firsthand. These are families who really want the best for their kids, uh, but they never were educated. So they're subsistence farmers. Maybe they have enough food, but they can't afford medical. They can't afford to send their kids to school. 
And uh, this gives us a chance to, to partner with the family and, and really do something meaningful. So if you want to talk to me more about that, I have some packets here, and I would love to uh, talk to you about that. Uh, but now on to um, the sermon. As Ryan mentioned, uh, we just wrapped up a summer series going through the book of James, and uh, it was a great series. I, I mean, I, I don't know if I can speak for everyone, but I was, I was really amazed with the quality of um, people from within our church, people from all over the city, people who we had no clue whether they were going to do good or not really blew us away. And uh, in a couple more weeks, we'll be starting a new fall series on parenting and really want uh, this to be a series for uh, the community of Lower Manhattan. So maybe you have some friends who are parents who don't go to church right now. Um, we tried to think what would be a series that would attract someone that is practical to their uh, stage in life right now and uh, would make it easier for you to say, hey, come and, and check this out for a week. So we'd love for you to invite people uh, to the series and we're also going to be sending out some postcards and things like that. So uh, hopefully uh, we'll have a great response to the, the fall series. Uh, but today and next week, uh, I want to talk about the Holy Spirit. And truthfully, part of the reason why uh, I want to do this is uh, I felt a sense of conviction personally and communally that one of the most important aspects of our faith, uh, the Holy Spirit, we've been underemphasizing. We've been neglecting the third part of the Trinity uh, really to our detriment. So for the next two weeks, uh, I want to talk about the presence of the Holy Spirit and the power of the Holy Spirit. So today we're going to talk about presence. Next Sunday we're going to talk about power. And um, as we get started with this, there's, there's just two things that I want to ask from you. Uh, the first one is, num is that all of us will approach this with an open mind. Um, I think some of us maybe have some preconceived notions about who the Holy Spirit is and what his role is in our lives. Uh, maybe we've been a part of a church that um, was a, a weird experience for us, a, a painful experience for us. Uh, maybe we've seen uh, the Holy Spirit abused. Uh, and others of us maybe have come from a really positive experience and we're kind of wondering, well, what's going on with LMCC? Uh, I think all of us have some kind of preconceived notion of who the Holy Spirit is and what he does. So uh, for the next two weeks, just approach it with an open mind, and let's see what uh, God's going to say to you and, and to this church. Uh, the second thing I want to ask is that we would really seek experience over knowledge. Uh, so you know, we're going to be looking at the Bible, we're going to be talking about um, ideas and, and concepts, uh, but the point isn't just to gain more knowledge. Um, if we just know more about the Holy Spirit, but it's not a more, par more part of our spiritual experience, well, then, then what's the point? Uh, we really want to seek experience over knowledge. Uh, so let's pray and get started. God, thank you for today. Uh, thank you that we can be here together as your church uh, to worship you, uh, to seek you, to cry out to you. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would really reveal yourself uh, send your Holy Spirit. God, we're, we're open right now to your Spirit. We want to learn more. We want to know more. But especially, God, we want to experience you. Uh, Holy Spirit, come today. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I think all of us know, at least kind of on a conceptual level, that um, each part of the Trinity has equal value. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. We know that uh, theologically speaking, they're, they're one and the same. But I think when it comes to the way we relate to the Trinity, uh, we assign values to the different parts. 
um, we, do, we don't treat each member of the Holy Spirit as if they're equally as important. And I think a good way that we kind of see this uh, evident is through our prayer lives. Uh, maybe we pray mostly to God, uh, to God the Father. Uh, Father, thank you. Father, we want this. Father. And then maybe we end it with, in Jesus' name we pray. Or others of us, we, we kind of prefer Jesus. We say, Jesus this, Jesus that, Jesus that. And then maybe at the end say, in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, something like that. But most of us, we have kind of a, a favorite member of the Trinity. And if we listen to our prayers, we hear that it's mostly to one or the other. Uh, but usually the Holy Spirit kind of gets the short end of the stick, right? I mean, I don't hear many of us praying, Holy Spirit, do this. Holy Spirit, thank you. Holy Spirit, whatever. When, when we pray, we're not actually praying to the Holy Spirit. If anything, we pray, God, send your Holy Spirit. As if we can't actually pray to the Holy Spirit, we have to pray that the Father would send him. I think if we're really honest, we, we assign value to the different members of the Trinity, and the Holy Spirit's kind of the low man on the totem pole. And I want to create a, an analogy here that, uh, let me just say up front, since this is immortalized on a podcast, that this is, this is tongue-in-cheek. Don't, don't like use this against me at a later time. But is there anyone here who's a, a Greg McElroy fan? Greg McElroy, NFL football player? Former Alabama quarterback? Greg McElroy is the third-string quarterback for the New York Jets. Third-string quarterback. And the analogy I'm making here is that this is kind of how we, we look at the, at the Trinity. We have Mark Sanchez, who's, who's God the Father. You know, he's... He's the one who, who calls the shots. He's the one who's, who's running the offense every play. Uh, he's the leader of the team. And then we have Tim Tebow, who's Jesus. I mean, for obvious reasons, right? It's Tebow. He's Jesus. <laughs> but Tebow, if, if we have like a special need, if, if there's a special play we want to call, well, then Tebow's going to come in and run the wildcat and, and catch the defense off guard. And that's, that's who Jesus is. When we need a, a special play, we call on him. And then Greg McElroy is the Holy Spirit. And if Greg McElroy is in the game, we know that something has gone terribly wrong, right? <laughs> Nobody wants Greg McElroy in the game. And that's kind of how we treat the Holy Spirit. God, he's, he's doing great. He's at the top calling the shots. We have Jesus, too. If we really need something special, we call on him. And then if we're really, really desperate, we call on the Holy Spirit to, to come and save the day, which... Maybe this analogy is great because Greg McElroy might actually be the best quarterback on their team. So it, it really uh, it holds water. But the sad part is we do treat the Holy Spirit as if he's a third-string quarterback. Uh, something that should be so important to our faith, uh, we treat as the lowest member of the Trinity and, at some and sometimes even neglect him altogether. We assign different values to the person of the Trinity, and the Holy Spirit is the low man on the totem pole. And I think that if we look at Scripture, uh, we start to see that this is totally contrary uh, to, to what we read in the pages of the Bible. If, if someone were, were handed the Bible and said, please ju just read the New Testament and, and tell me what you think. You've, you've never been to church before. You don't have any preconceived notion of uh, what church looks like. You would read what's in here and say, wow, the Holy Spirit is alive. 
the Holy Spirit is doing something remarkable in the church of God. I don't think we would read this and say, okay, the church means we meet for one hour, we sing a few songs, we hear a sermon, we eat some bagels, and we go home. You, you wouldn't read the Bible and come to that conclusion. You'd read it and say, the Holy Spirit is alive and doing something remarkable in the church. And that, I don't mean that as like an indictment on our church or all churches, but the truth is we have this resource available to us that's being neglected. If someone read this Bible and had a vision of what the church would be and showed up here or at any church, they'd probably be a little bit disappointed. So that's kind of the bad news. The bad news is that we've seriously neglected the Holy Spirit. But the good news is that the Spirit of God is available to us. The Spirit of God is available to every single one of us. Um, If you have your bulletin, the scriptures for today are on the back side of that. I'd like to read uh, the first verse. We'll just kind of go down these uh, throughout the sermon so you can follow along. Uh, The first verse from Acts chapter 2, verses 38 and 39. This This is the very beginning of the church. This is right after the life and ministry of Jesus. Um, This is kind of the beginning of everything. It says, Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. All of us have the Holy Spirit. All of us have the Holy Spirit available to us. What does the scripture say? Repent and be baptized, every one of you, and you will receive the Holy Spirit. Repent and be baptized and you'll receive the Holy Spirit. That's kind of the equation, right? That's what we see from the very beginning in the church. Repent, be baptized, and you will receive the Holy Spirit. And we're kind of tempted to think, well... You know, this is the beginning, this is the first church, and Jesus, like, left, like, one day ago, and, you know, all these amazing things are happening. This is clearly a special case. You know, this is a unique situation for the church, and that's why we see, like, this outpouring of the Holy Spirit. But I think Peter is, is making it clear here. He's saying the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off. It's for you, it's for the next generation, it's for every person who's far away from God right now. He's saying you can't, you can't think that this is unique to this situation. I'm telling you, this is a promise not only for you, but for your children and for all the people to come. Everyone right now who's far from God, if they repent and are baptized, they'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is for all of us. And maybe you're wondering, like, well, what if I haven't been baptized before? Does that mean I can't have the Holy Spirit? I don't, I don't know if I really want to comment on that because... If you haven't been baptized, why not? I mean, why, why wouldn't you want to be baptized? It's what we see in Scripture. Uh, Jesus did it. The early church did it. I mean, virtually everyone in the New Testament who repents and believes then is baptized. So if, if you're a Christian or you want to become a Christian, why wouldn't you want to do this thing of baptism? I mean, the question of uh, if you can be a Christian or if you can receive the Holy Spirit... It shouldn't be an important question. The question should be, well, why wouldn't we want to do it? If we see the example of it and we know there's value to it, why wouldn't we want to do it? So if, if you're here and you, you haven't been baptized, uh, I want to encourage you to think about it. Uh, we're actually going to do 
uh, a baptism class in October. So if, if, if you haven't been baptized, uh, we'd love for you to join us for that. Uh, even, even if you're, you've been baptized maybe as an infant and you want to be baptized again, um, we're, we support that decision. I think that's a cool thing as an adult to, to publicly say, uh, I have faith in Jesus Christ. I want to demonstrate this through baptism. So October, the baptism class coming up, we'd, we'd love for you to, to be a part of that. But this is, this is the equation. Repent, be baptized, and receive the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is for all of us. Uh, it's not uh, for the select few. It's not something special that uh, only that group of people received. Uh, it's supposed to be the norm. It's supposed to be something for normal Christians. We repent, we're baptized, and we receive the Spirit of God. You will receive the Spirit of God. Uh, if you're a Christian, if you've repented and you're baptized, you have the Holy Spirit in you right now. You already have the Holy Spirit. And maybe we've neglected it to the point that we, we barely feel it, we're barely aware of it, but if you're a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit in you right now. I think if there's one point I really want you to walk away with today, it's that. That today, right now, you have the Holy Spirit of God inside of you. Every single one of us, normal believers, we have the Spirit of God in us. And I want to tell you that uh, Satan wants to convince us that that's not true. Uh, Satan wants to, to deceive us into thinking that uh, we never received the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit isn't important, uh, that the Holy Spirit has no power in our lives. Satan wants to convince us that this isn't a big deal, it's not important, and that you don't have it. But as a Christian... The Holy Spirit is accessible to us. The Holy Spirit is for everyone. And maybe, like, maybe at this point you're kind of thinking, well, um, all right, the Holy Spirit sounds cool, it's good, it's available to us, maybe I kind of see some benefits to it. Uh, but what about Jesus? I mean, isn't, isn't Jesus like what it's all about? I mean, we're, we're Christians. Shouldn't we be focusing on Jesus? And now you're telling me to focus in, instead on the Holy Spirit? Um, well, first of all, let me just reiterate that all members of the Trinity are, are equally important. One God, three persons, each with their value. But why, why am I saying the Holy Spirit is so important? Uh, let's look at the second verse on our, on our bulletin here. Uh, this is from the Gospel of John, uh, towards the end of Jesus' ministry. And he says to his disciples, But now I go away to him who sent me. And none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. So we, can, we see the, the whole trinity right here. Jesus, uh, the Son, saying, I'm going back to the Father. Uh, and I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. All three persons right here. But the thing that seems kind of counterintuitive to us is that Jesus is saying, it's better for you. It's to your advantage if I go away. And, I mean, that, at least to me, that seems counterintuitive, right? We're, we're Christians. We're, we're followers of Jesus Christ. So how, how on earth could it be better that Jesus goes away? If we're, if we're followers of Jesus, why would we want Jesus to go away? And I'm just kind of thinking, like, it would be, it would be cool if Jesus was standing right here next to me. 
If Jesus is with me at all times, and I feel, maybe I feel tempted, I could say, hey, Jesus, what do you think? Yay or nay? Should I do this? And he says, nay, and you know, we give each other a high five. Thanks, Jesus. Like, if Jesus could be there right with us, right next to us, that would be pretty cool. But scripture is saying, Jesus is saying, it's better for you that I go away. It's actually to your advantage that I go away because I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to you. Does anyone remember uh, the old hymn, uh, He Lives? Um, the church that I went to when I was younger, we used to sing this every Easter. And uh, the, the words go, He lives, He lives, Christ Jesus lives today. He walks with me and talks with me along life's narrow way. He lives, he lives, salvation to impart. You ask me how I know he lives, he lives within my heart. And it's a cool song, it's a, it's an, a nice song to sing on Easter, uh, but the truth is that it's, it's theologically incorrect. Jesus is not the one who lives in our heart. It's a nice sentiment, but the song is wrong. Uh, he, here's what the Bible says about it. Uh, the next next passages on your insert. It says, After the Lord Jesus had spoken to them, he was taken up into heaven, and he sat at the right hand of God. So this is Mark 16, uh, verse 19. This is the second to last verse in the, in the Gospel of Mark. So Jesus does his thing, and at the very end, it says, he goes up to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God. So Jesus didn't die. I mean, he rose again. He's alive. But where is Jesus? He's seated at the right hand of God in heaven. The next verse there, still, still right in the same paragraph, it says, the Son of Man is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. Scripture is very clear on this point. Jesus is at the right hand of the Father in heaven. In Hebrews it says, after he had provided purification for sins. So Jesus was here on earth at a specific time and place uh, in, the, in the person of Jesus Christ, constrained by time and space. He lived a perfect life. He died on the cross for our sins. He was raised from death. He, he conquered death. But then Jesus ascends into heaven. So Hebrews saying, the book of Hebrews is saying he provides purification. That was, that was his point in being here on earth. But then he ascends up to the right hand of the Father. So Jesus is alive, but he's at the right hand of the Father. Jesus is alive, but he's in heaven. Um, God doesn't just want to, to save us. He doesn't just want to take away our sins. God wants to also send the Holy Spirit. When we think about being saved, we can't only think about the aspect of sin being taken away. Um, if we think only about what's taken away and what's not given, we're only seeing half of the gospel message. Uh, it's not just what's taken away, it's also what's given. Uh, one of the books that I read uh, in preparation for, the, for this mini-series is called Baptism in Fullness by John Stott, uh, The Work of the Holy Spirit Today. And I want to read a quote to this point. Uh, it says, Certainly we must never conceive salvation in purely negative terms. 
as if it consisted only of our rescue from sin, guilt, wrath, and death. We thank God for all these things, but it also includes the positive blessing of the Holy Spirit to regenerate, indwell, liberate, and transform us. What a truncated gospel we preach if we proclaim the one without the other. And what a glorious gospel we have to share when we are true to Scripture. When sinners repent and believe, Jesus not only takes away their sins, but he also baptizes them with the Holy Spirit. So Jesus is for the purification of our sins, but then he ascended up to heaven. He's at the right hand of God. But the other part of the gospel is that the Holy Spirit comes to us. And not only comes, but the Holy Spirit dwells inside of us. The next um, passages here from 1 Corinthians and from, also from Romans uh, says, Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? And if, and if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, who raised Christ from the dead, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his Spirit who lives inside you. Why is it better that Jesus was going away? Because he was going to send the Holy Spirit to live inside of us. The comforter, the healer, our helper, our advocate. Jesus goes away, but then he sends the Holy Spirit to be with us and to even be inside of us. The Holy Spirit is dwelling inside of us right now. And the Holy Spirit isn't constrained by time and space. The Holy Spirit uh, is in each of us individually and is, is even with us corporately. The Holy Spirit has the power to be inside each of us right now. And I, my opinion, I mean, as far as I can tell from uh, what the Bible says and from my own personal experience as a Christian, is that it would be impossible to be a Christian without the Holy Spirit. It would be impossible to be a Christian, let alone to live as a Christian and to grow as a Christian without the Holy Spirit inside of us. We can have some kind of cognitive belief about God and the Holy Spirit, but if we really want to be born again, if we want to be a, a new creation, if we want to move from darkness to light, from death to life, we need the Holy Spirit to do that. And I want to let you know that this isn't a backup plan. This isn't like the whole Jesus thing didn't work out, so I'm going to send in the third string quarterback to save the day. This wasn't a backup plan. This was God's plan from the very beginning. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, all working together. The plan was that the Holy Spirit would be sent to be with us. That's how God wants it to be. So all of us have access to the Holy Spirit. Jesus says it's better for us that the Holy Spirit's going to come. And the Holy Spirit is actually living inside of us right now. But I think uh, a natural question for us, and a question that you know, I struggle with sometimes too, is, well, what, what if I don't feel anything? I mean, you're saying that I have the Holy Spirit in me, but number one, I, there wasn't like a, a flame that came over my head. I didn't speak in tongues. There was no miracle that happened. Uh, well, we're going we're gonna to save that for next week, that question. And we're going to talk about the power of the Holy Spirit next week. Uh, but number two, the, the other thing that comes to mind, well, why didn't I feel anything? If, if the Holy Spirit's really with me, if the Holy Spirit's really in me, why, do, why don't I 
I feel any different? And um, I think a question to ask uh, as we think through that, um, going back to, to Acts chapter 2 and kind of the equation that we see of repent, be baptized, and receive the Holy Spirit, I think we need to ask ourselves, have we really repented? Have we really repented? And I'm not trying to like say that we're not, you're not a Christian or that I'm not a Christian, but have you really repented? And uh, does anyone know what the, the term repent uh, literally means? Uh, repent means that you, you turn around. So you're, you're moving in a direction, you stop, and you turn 180 degrees. That's what repent means. You turn around. And I think for many of us, when we became Christians, we, we're, we're walking in a certain direction, and we say, oh, yeah, God is, is cool. This Jesus thing is, is really good. Um, I can just keep walking in the same direction I've always been walking, and God's going to come alongside me. The Holy Spirit's going to kind of you know, be there as my backup as I walk in the same direction I've always been walking. And what Scripture is saying is, no, you have to repent. You have to stop whatever direction you're moving in, and you have to face God. You have to face Jesus and the Holy Spirit and totally reorient the direction that you're walking. Maybe what happens is you repent, you turn towards God, and it ends up the direction you're walking on is still pretty similar. You know, it might not be like you're, you're a Wall Street uh, guy or a finance guy, then all of a sudden you're called to be a full-time pastor. It, does, it doesn't always work like that. But the orientation of our heart has to switch. We can't just walk the same direction we've always been walking and say, oh, well, let's, let's invite God kind of as a bonus. When we repent, it means that we, we stop and we turn our lives towards God. So we need to ask ourselves the question, have I really repented? Uh, scripture gives a pretty cool analogy of this uh, that I, I really like and I'm always challenged by it. Uh, from the Gospel of John, it says, The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. The wind blows wherever it pleases. And that's how the Holy Spirit works. The Holy Spirit blows in whatever direction it chooses. So why don't we do this? Why don't we feel the Holy Spirit? Well, in part because this is really scary, right? Like, if we let the Holy Spirit into our lives, it's going to blow whatever direction we want. That's, that's pretty scary, right? We're, we're giving up a lot of, we're giving up control, we're giving up uh, submission. It's scary if we're going to let the Spirit blow in whatever direction it wants. We take a risk in our faith when we allow the Holy Spirit to dwell inside of us. We really have to say, God, I trust you. God, I want you to move in me and through me uh, when we accept the gift of the Holy Spirit. And I think it's right for us to ask the question, do I really want this? I mean, this is, this is a big deal. This is a big thing. We shouldn't just walk lightly into it. We need to ask ourselves, do I really want this? And uh, I was thinking about this idea of like the wind blowing and how come sometimes we don't feel it. And this image came to my mind of, of like a, a sailboat. So the Holy Spirit is the wind blowing and the sailboat is kind of like, our lives. And it, it's kind of up to us. Like, do we want to raise our sail and let the wind blow and push it forward? Or are we content to keep our sail down? And maybe we feel a gentle breeze, but it's not moving us anywhere. And the thing that I like about this, this image is that when you're, you're driving a sailboat, um, 
you still have some say, right? You're still steering the ship, at least slightly, uh, but you have to cooperate with the wind. You have to cooperate with the direction that the wind's blowing. And I think that's what it's like when we accept the gift of the Holy Spirit. We put ourselves up, we feel God's movement, and we respond to it. Uh, we, still, we still have some autonomy, we're still created to be thinking people, uh, but we cooperate with the wind of God's Holy Spirit. So I, don't, I still don't know if I've fully answered the question, but what do I, what do, I do if, if I don't feel it? Um, so let me just kind of briefly say uh, a few things that, that I try to do uh, to feel the Holy Spirit in my life. Um, number one, it, I, w- I like to be still before God. I like to just sit in silence to invite God's presence to come. Um, and maybe I'm not even, I'm not asking for anything. I'm not even thanking God for anything. I'm just still before God inviting his presence. So that's, that's one thing I do. Another thing that, uh, that uh, we can do is to actually pray specifically to the Holy Spirit. If, if we really believe the Holy Spirit is an equal part of the Trinity, well, then we need to develop a relationship with the Holy Spirit just like we would uh, God the Father or, or Jesus Christ. So why don't we pray to the Holy Spirit? Instead of saying, God, send your Spirit, say, Holy Spirit, come into my life. Holy Spirit, I, I open myself to you. I open my heart to you. Holy Spirit, come. We can actually pray specifically to the Holy Spirit. Another thing that we can do is uh, to really have faith that the Holy Spirit's going to move. Uh, don't, just, don't just pay lip service to the Holy Spirit and say, well, yeah, I guess, I guess I've kind of been neglecting, so when I pray, I'll throw in a few Holy Spirits. Well, pray to the Holy Spirit with the belief that it's actually going to do something, with the belief that the Holy Spirit can and will dwell inside you, and that it's going to mean something to our lives. We have to have faith that the Holy Spirit will do something real in us. And then the last thing that we can try to do in a, in a more practical way is to move when the Holy Spirit tells us to move. Um, I think for many of us, myself included, sometimes we sense a move of the Holy Spirit. We sense that God is calling us to do something or to give something or to move somewhere, and we, we kind of ignore it. You know, we, we sense that God's moving, but uh, we rationalize and say, well, you know, I don't think God's really telling me to do that. If we continue to ignore the movement of the Spirit, we lose sensitivity to it. We need to respond when the Holy Spirit moves. If it says move, we move with it. So I want to ask a question to all of us. When's the last time you had a legitimate experience with the Holy Spirit? When's the last time you really felt the Holy Spirit in your life? Was it the last week? Has it been a month? Has it been a year? Have you ever really felt God's Holy Spirit in your life? The Holy Spirit is available to each and every one of us. Repent, be baptized, and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The God of the universe wants to dwell inside of us. His presence is available to each of us. Now, like I said when we were getting started, I don't want this to be about just gaining more knowledge. I want it to be about experience, experiencing the Holy Spirit. So I want to I pray right now, and um, if this is something that you want, if this is something that you believe, um, just pray along with me. 
and pray with me and, and see. I mean, I don't, I don't know if anything's going to happen. Maybe it feels like any other prayer that we do a, on a Sunday morning, uh, but maybe it'll be different. Maybe we'll really feel God's presence. Maybe we'll feel the Holy Spirit inside of us. And uh, that's my desire for all of us. So let's pray. Holy Spirit, come. Fall fresh on us, God. Fall fresh on us, Holy Spirit. Fill us up. Dwell inside of us. Holy Spirit, some of us have not felt your presence in a long time. Some of us maybe haven't felt your spirit ever, God. Holy Spirit, we we hunger and we thirst for you. We long for you. Fill us with your spirit. Anoint us. Dwell inside of us. We want to be blown by your spirit, God. We desire the fullness of the Trinity. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. We don't want to neglect the Holy Spirit in our lives anymore. We want to cry out to you. Holy Spirit, come. Fill our hearts. Holy Spirit, make yourself known to us. We invite you in. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Mm-hmm.